So, two weeks ago, I did the introduction to the book of Acts in preparation for the series that we start today. As I said then, we are looking at the book of Acts as well as spiritual formation. They go hand in hand. Jill spoke on spiritual formation last week, and she's going to be doing at least once a month, going to be speaking about spiritual formation. So today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1. I am going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read it in sections and uh, then speak about certain things from the verses that I read. I'm going to break it up into five sections. We're going to read verses 1 to 5, 6 to 11, 12 to 14, 15 to 19, then 20 to 26. And I'll make comments on them as I speak through. So let's begin with the first section. Acts chapter 1, 1 to 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So two weeks ago I said that the book of Acts was a continuation of the Gospel of Luke, both written to Theophilus. Um, Acts is the only book that mentions that Jesus, after he was resurrected, was around for 40 days. Um, the, the, gospels that, the other Gospels do mention that he was around, but nobody gives a time frame. It's only in the book of Acts that we, we see that. And in these 40 days, he traveled around the countryside, appearing to his disciples, first in Galilee. Remember when uh, the, the ladies went to the tomb? What was Mary told, what they told? Go and tell the men to go to Galilee where they'll meet with Jesus. And that's from Jerusalem to Galilee. is quite a distance. Um, but that's where he went, traveled up to Galilee. Um, and he met with them there. Matthew 28.10 and Mark 16.7 tell us that. It's where he restored Peter after his denial of Christ. John 21, that whole chapter just is the wonderful chapter of when they go out fishing. And then somebody calls him from the shore. And they, they recognize it as Jesus. And he tells him, put the net in the other side. And pulls up this huge catch. And then he gives, cooks them breakfast even before they get back with the fish. He's got it. So he is restored there. Peter is restored there. And then, so Jesus traveled all over Jerusalem in this time, ending up back, sorry, all over Israel, ending up back in Jerusalem. And it's there that Jesus tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Not to go traveling around the countryside again, but to wait in Jerusalem for a specific reason. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He had to wait, they had to wait there. Has God ever told you to wait for something that he's promised you? Have you ever had to wait for something that God has promised you? I think there's a question there, Anne, that goes up. <laughs> he has told you to wait, yeah. Are you good at waiting? Hit it again. Yeah. Okay. Are you good at waiting? Some of us are good. Some of us aren't good. Getting better at it. Yeah, I like to hear that. Getting better at it. That's what I should, hopefully we all should be getting at becoming more like Jesus. That's the whole idea of walking on the path that we're walking on. So let's move on to the next section. As I said, just short comments. 
not a big explanation. Acts 1, 6 to 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who, is taken up, who, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So looking at verse 6, the disciples were still expecting Jesus to restore the kingdom of Israel, getting rid of the Roman occupiers and setting Israel back to how it was under the kings David and Solomon. They did not realize that he was talking about a spiritual kingdom, not a physical, earthly kingdom. They were still expecting that. The teachers of the law were still expecting it. It wasn't just the disciples. It was the Jewish nation was expecting that. But Jesus was talking about a different kingdom. And Jesus was already in that spiritual kingdom. His body was no longer the earthly body that he had when he was hung on the cross and when he was buried. Because after he was buried, he then, his body was transformed and changed into his everlasting spiritual body. He descended into hell, took the keys uh, of authority from, the, from Satan, and he arose again on the third day. And then he appeared to his disciples, and he could just go through walls, he could do things like that that a normal body would not be able to do. He was in his spiritual body already. He had already been resurrected, never to die again. Yes, we know there were others that had been resurrected. If we think of Lazarus, and there was Jairus' daughter, and a few others that if you go through Scripture, they died and then came back to life. But they were to die again. And only with the return of Christ will they be resurrected fully. They, they died and their bodies have decomposed. Jesus conquered death and rose in his heavenly body. Verse 7 is quite clear that we are not to know when Jesus will return. And this is not the only part, place in Scripture where it says that. There are a number of other references. Um, so all these supposed prophets who predict the end of the world either don't study the Scriptures or choose to ignore sort, certain portions of Scripture. Matthew 24 is a chapter all about end-time signs and Jesus' second coming. And verse 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Quite clear that we're not to worry about end times, predictions, and getting all that. So don't get caught up in trying to work out when Jesus will return. But be ready for him to return. It could be any time. It could be any day. We don't know when. What we do know from these verses and others is that Jesus will return in the same way that he left. Again, from Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is going to come again in the reverse of how he went. 
It's going to come down from heaven in the clouds. We know that. We need to be ready for Jesus. But being ready for Jesus doesn't mean that we just sit around and wait. We have work to do, as we see in verse 8. Okay? Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm not going to say anything about verse 8 because Mike's going to be speaking on that next week. So I'm going to leave it to him. But just as in that verse 8 it speaks about the four areas, that's how the gospel spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we'll see that as you go, as we go through Acts, we'll see it start to unfold into those areas. But Mark's going to say more about that next week. So moving on again to the next section, Acts 1, 12 to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There's a remarkable difference to the behavior of the apostles, the 11 apostles, when they returned to Jerusalem compared to the behavior after the crucifixion of Jesus. If you remember, after the crucifixion of Jesus, they reverted. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. And even when um, Mary came back and said to them, Jesus has risen, go to Galilee. When they get there, what do they do? They revert back to type, to their old lifestyle, and they go fishing. Now, Peter was a fisherman, and they went out fishing again. That's what he did. They were told to go to Galilee, but they went and they went fishing, reverting back to old time. This time, they head back to their lodgings, and while waiting there with the woman who had been traveling with Jesus, plus Mary, Jesus' mother, and his brothers, they do the one thing that specifically asked Jesus to teach them to do, and that is to pray. It's the only thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them, and that is to pray. And that's where we get what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And during this time of the virus, when you're washing your hands, if you wash your hands and repeat the Lord's Prayer, that'll do, give you your 20 seconds of washing your hands. So just every time you go to wash your hands, say the Lord's Prayer. Okay? And you can just keep praying that over yourself. Um, there's your 20 seconds of washing your hands. Okay. But they revert, they now changed. They didn't go revert to type and think like head off fishing. No, they stayed and they prayed. They prayed and they prayed. So, what do you do when you are waiting on the Lord for something that He has promised to you? So, questions up again. Are you active in your waiting? Do you spend time in His presence or do you do what you want to do? What is it that you do when God tells you to wait? Yeah, I know I find it easy just to do what I want to do and not spend time in the presence of the Lord. Not to spend time praying. I find it much easier to go, turn the TV on or get my phone out rather than actually waiting on God and praying. 
But that's what the disciples did as they prayed. And that's what God's asking us to do. Now, as they did what they'd been instructed to do, to wait in Jerusalem, they did so actively. It wasn't a passive thing that they did. They were active in their waiting. They spent time in prayer. And I believe that it was out of this prayer time that the next portion of Scripture came about. So let's read it, verses 15 to 19. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. That word brothers, actually, in the, in the, in the Hebrew is both sexes. It's not just the men, it's everyone, men and women. Okay? And said, brothers, or the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language Akeldama, which is field of blood. The field of blood was bought with blood money became the field of blood, was also the field where his blood, his blood was spilt. Now we all know that Peter was often one to speak, opening his mouth before engaging the brain. You know, he was prone to that, or opening his mouth just to change feet. You know. But this time, it's different. This time, he's being led by the Lord, having spent time in his presence in prayer, He is speaking with an anointing on him, explaining the role Judas played in the fulfillment of prophecy. Peter stands to speak. So he's proposing a motion. He's not teaching. He's not laying down a law. He's proposing a motion. That's why he stands. That's the opposite of the way we do things. In Jewish culture, if you were teaching or laying down law, you sat to teach. The teacher sat that's why you see it. Jesus, when he was at, uh, on, the, on the shore of, the, of Galilee, and he got into the boat and said to Peter, push out a bit. What did he do? He sat down. Because when he sat, it meant he had the authority to teach. We do it the other way around. We stand up in the front, and we think we have the authority while all of you sit down. So, no, it's, Peter was standing because he wasn't doing it as a teaching or a laying down a law. He did it... Um, because he was posing a motion. Jesus, in, the, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, what did he do? He sat and he spoke to the people. That's when he was teaching. Teachers of the law, teachers in those times, the, the rabbis would sit to teach. It was a position of authority. Now, how many times do we read of Jesus sitting and teaching? Often in Scripture. Luke then reports on the death of Judas, sorry, Luke reports on the death of Judas that seemed to be contradictory to what Matthew writes in his gospel. Matthew says that after Judas had given the money back to the chief priests and the elders, who then actually went and bought the field, he didn't do it, though taking it was Judas's money, because they had given it to him, he went and hanged himself in the field and the high priest and the el- that the high priest and the elders had bought. That's where he hanged himself, in the field that they had bought. Now, we don't know what happened to his body after he died, but some biblical scholars and commentators comment that Luke revealed his medical knowledge by the way he reports 
on the death of Judas. They proposed that Judas was left hanging in the tree for a number of days. And because of the heat, his body would have begun to putrefy and decompose. Internal gases would have built up within him and caused his body to be bloated. Just the natural dying process if we left without being taken to undertakers. And that when he was cut down from the tree, he hit the ground, and because his body was in that condition, it burst open and his guts spilled out. So they're not contradictory. They say the same thing. But something else to note, it was common practice at that time amongst the military to punish traitors by disemboweling them. Yeah, not a pretty sight. Couldn't have been that pretty. But just so when you look at this, you read this and you look at Matthew's account and say he hanged himself here, he say he burst open. One progresses on from the other. It's, it's a continuation. So moving on to the last part, verses 20 to 26. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with, sorry, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Peter continues to explain his motion of saying we need to replace Judas. Quoting from Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. He's quoting scripture to them. And scripture that is being fulfilled. So it's the fulfillment of these prophetic pieces of scripture. Judas' home is to be desolate. Nobody is to occupy it. But his position as an apostle is to be filled so that there are once again 12 apostles. One representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel the 12 apostles, the leaders of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. And we read in, in, in Revelation of the 24 seats that are in heaven, the 12 tribes, leaders of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. The replacement had to be someone who had been with them from the very beginning, who had been a disciple and a witness to all that Jesus had done and taught. And I don't know how, how many of you think about that, you know, that there were more than just the 12 that he chose that were with Jesus all the time. But we don't often read about them or hear about them. But there was a number of people that traveled with him right from the very beginning. But there were the 12 that he chose. Because, I mean, there's the 12 that get sent out, then he also sends out the 70 or the 72. So there was a large crowd around him. I mean, now there's 120 of them in the upper room. Um, gathered together. And a number of them had been with him right from the very beginning, but only the 12 had been acknowledged as apostles, called to be apostles at that time. 
So they're looking to replace Judas. And there are two men that fit the requirements. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also called Justice, and Matthias. They were put forward to the whole group, not just to the the 11 apostles. This is to the whole group, the group that is gathered there. And they prayed, and they asked the Lord to lead them and to guide them. And they prayed a simple prayer. You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Simple prayer. Lord, we need to know which one. It was a decision, it was quite a weighty decision, but it was just a simple request. Lord, you show us. And then they cast lots, which was a traditional way of making decisions at that time. It was something that was done often, casting lots, drawing straws, whatever, there were different ways of doing it. Um, And that was traditional to do that. It wasn't spooky, it wasn't demonic or anything like that. It's not like rolling dice or anything, it's just casting lots. And they would make a decision. And the lot fell to Matthias. Now, Judas was the only apostle ever to be replaced. He forfeited his position by rejecting Jesus. When the other apostles died, and 11 of the 12 were martyred, they died in horrible ways, um, their positions were not filled by other people, because they had the 12 apostles. And there were other apostles appointed, and we see that through Scripture. And we'll meet a number of them along the way. We'll read about Paul and Barnabas being appointed and sent out as apostles when we get to Acts 13. And when you read some of the letters that were written, you see they're written to people who had an apostolic ministry. Other apostles were appointed. Um, so, but it was the 12, the initial 12, that were there. And they're the 12 that are going to occupy the seats in heaven. So he was the only one ever to be replaced. We know of others, when they died, that was it. There were other apostles that came along, but they weren't taking their position. Now, when you have a decision to make, do you make them on your own, or do you pray pray simple prayers and ask the Lord to guide you and lead you? Do you do that? Even for simple things. It doesn't have to be just the major things. Do you pray? Do you pray and ask God to that? Because it's something that we need to be doing. And it's simple prayers. We don't have to have complicated prayers. Praying about decisions do not have to be long and intricate or complicated. They can be concise and simple, just like this one. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two have been chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Which one? That's all they were asking. Do you do that? Or do you just make a decision on your own and expect God to back you up as opposed to saying, God, which way is your way? What do you want me to be doing? And then you do it. But pray a simple prayer. Mark Marks, when when he was teaching us to do healing on the streets, uh, his thing was when you get to pray with someone, he says, just pray your best prayer. Your best prayer. Whatever comes out, that's your best prayer. Doesn't have to be complicated, doesn't have to be difficult, doesn't have to be long. It's just you want to see healing, that's what you're praying for. Pray for healing. Command the healing to come. 
Speak healing over the person and do that. If it's whatever it is that you're praying about, keep it simple, keep it short. God knows what we need already, but he wants us to ask because he's a relational father. He wants to have a relationship with us. He doesn't want it just to be robotic where we, we just come there with our requests and then we, once we've given him the list, we switch off. Say, God, do this for us. We know it's God, show us, lead us, guide us. And that means we've got to sit and listen to him. We've got to wait for him to speak to us. Let's pray, simple prayers. Keep them short, listen to him. Do you have any decisions to make and you're not sure what to do? Pray and ask. Pray and ask. That's all it is. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. There's so much more in here, Father, that we could look at. But today it's just these simple things that we want to pick out. One, that it's a relationship with you that's so important. You want us to be in relationship with you. And that we can ask you about anything. You hear us and you answer us. Thank you, Father. So, Lord, for those of us that are here today with decisions to make, things that are happening in our lives, I pray that you will just help us to turn to you, to come before you, to come as your child, your son, your daughter, to our loving Father. We ask you to guide us and lead us as we go forward in life. Let it be each day that we do this. Each day that we have time with you. Sometimes just listening and not asking for anything. But help us each day to be in your presence and to realize we're in your presence all the time. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.